Welcome to the Council of Institutional Investors podcast on corporate governance and capital markets regulation. I'm Jeff Mahoney, General Counsel of CII. The purpose of these monthly episodes is to update CI members and the general public on significant developments in U.S. corporate governance and capital markets regulation and CII's related advocacy activities. This update covers the period from August 1st to August 30th. The following is my top 10 list of events over that period. Number 10, on August 4th, U.S. Senate Banking Committee Chairman Jared Brown of Ohio and Senator Jack Reed of Rhode Island submitted a comment letter urging the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission to finalize, as proposed, its February 2022 private fund advisor proposal. The letter asserts that the new requirements would bring necessary and important transparency to the private fund market and prohibit troubling practices that have time and again produced conflicts between private fund advisors and fund investors. The Council of Institutional Investors issued a comment letter in response to the proposal on April 7th. Number nine, on August 4th, U.S. Senate Banking Committee held a hearing to examine the economic costs of climate change, noting that the committee is tasked with overseeing the stability of the financial system. Chairman Sherrod Brown of Ohio argued that the panel has a responsibility to do all it can prevent obvious risks from wrecking local economies and our financial stability. The chair also stressed that taxpayers can't afford for lawmakers to treat climate risk any differently than other threats that don't pose a systemic risk to the financial system at the moment, particularly when the effects on the economy are so clear. Chair Brown emphasized, moreover, that there is tremendous economic opportunity if lawmakers address these threats including the creation of good-paying jobs in the industries of the future. Ranking minority member Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania expressed concern, however, about policies that are explicitly designed to reduce American energy production and therefore make the cost of energy more expensive under the guise of addressing climate change. Ranking member Toomey also criticized the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission's proposed climate disclosure requirements, asserting that in addition to hijacking the democratic process with its breathtaking scope, the proposal would impose immense costs on companies and have no meaningful effect in slowing climate change. Number eight, on August 24th, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission released a draft strategic plan for 2022 to 2026, naming three specific areas where it hopes to increase corporate disclosure to investors. One, climate risk. Two, cybersecurity hygiene policies. And three, workforce information. Also of note, the draft asserts that the SEC must enhance transparency in private markets and modify rules to ensure that core regulatory principles apply in all appropriate contexts. Another takeaway from the draft plan is the SEC's desire to ramp up resources devoted to markets beyond equity, specifically crypto assets, derivatives, and fixed income. The comment period for the draft strategic plan ends on September 29th. Number seven, on August 25th, in anticipation of the implementation of the U.S. Securities Exchange Commission's universal proxy rule that will go into effect on August 31st, 
the SEC staff issued three compliance and disclosure interpretations. The three interpretations address hiccups that could arise in connection with the universal proxy rule process to ensure that shareholders have full flexibility to vote for their favored combination of nominees using either the company or distant proxy card. The first interpretation addresses unforeseen changes in nominees and available board seats. The new rule requires distant shareholders to give companies notice of their intended candidates at least 60 days before the anniversary of the previous year's meeting date. The interpretation explicitly discourages distant groups from using strategy whereby they submit more names than available board seats with intent to finalize their slates as the meeting draws near. However, interpretation also acknowledges that in some circumstances, changing intended nominees becomes unavoidable, such as when a distant nominee is no longer willing to serve if elected to the board, or when the board changes the number of available board seats. To prepare for those types of situations, the interpretation suggests that the distance notice could include not only the names of expected board nominees, but also the names of backup nominees to be put forward if necessary. The second interpretation addresses multi-front proxy fights. Companies have always been exposed to the risk of more than one distinct group waging a contest at the same shareholder meeting, and the universal proxy rule does not foreclose that risk. The interpretation clarifies that in such scenarios, companies need to provide distance with all the names necessary for them to produce their universal proxy cards including the names of any candidates submitted by another distinct group and the names of any candidates standing for election through a proxy access provision. The third interpretation addresses proxy statement disclosure about next year's process. Similar to the requirement that companies describe in their proxy statements how to submit shareholder proposals for next year's annual meeting, the new universal proxy rule requires companies to share deadlines and other important information for those considering nominating board candidates the following year. The interpretation clarifies that in cases where companies have adopted bylaws establishing advance notice deadlines and or information requirements that extend beyond what is required under the universal proxy rule, the proxy statement needs to disclose that information. Of note, the SEC's universal proxy final rule published in the Federal Register in December 2021 was in response to a Council of Institutional Investors rulemaking petition submitted to the SEC in 2014. Number six, on August 29th, a three-judge panel of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit heard oral arguments in the case of Alliance for Fair Board Recruitment versus the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. The case involves a legal challenge to the SEC's approval of a NASDAQ rule that requires listed companies provide more information about the diversity of their boards. During the oral arguments, U.S. District Judge Stephen Higginson questioned the attorney representing NASDAQ whether she objected to the idea that the SEC had pushed NASDAQ into a woke mission to get minorities and gays on boards, or whether the NASDAQ rule came from the bottom up, with investors saying, rightly or wrongly, this is information we need to know. The NASDAQ attorney replied, absolutely the latter. Of note, in February 2022, CII was party to a joint amicus brief from investors and investor representatives 
filed in the Fifth Circuit in support of the SEC in this case. Number five, on August 26th, U.S. Securities Exchange Commission Chair Gary Gensler announced that the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board signed a letter of protocol with the China Securities Regulatory Commission and the Ministry of Finance of the People's Republic of China governing inspections and investigations of audit firms based in China and Hong Kong. This agreement marked the first time the SEC had received detailed and specific commitments from China that they would allow the PCAOB inspections and investigations meeting U.S. standards. Your Kensler emphasized that the agreed-upon framework is merely a step in the process, and the agreement will be meaningful only if the PCAOB actually can inspect and investigate completely audit firms in China. If they cannot, roughly 200 China-based issuers are scheduled to face prohibitions on trading of their securities in the U.S. if they continue to use audit firms not subject to PCOB inspection. Number four, on August 26th, the ranking member of the U.S. House of Representatives Committee on Financial Services, Patrick McHenry of North Carolina, issued the following statement in response to the aforementioned agreement announced between the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board and Chinese officials regarding inspections and investigations of audit firms based in China and Hong Kong. Quote, today's agreement is only the first step to ensure Chinese companies listed on U.S. exchanges comply with our securities laws. While this progress is important, we must recognize that we cannot beat China by becoming more like the Chinese Communist Party. It is critical that we ensure our capital markets remain the most open, deep, and liquid in the world. As a free people in a constitutional republic, the rule of law and free markets should remain our guiding strength. To confront the generational threat posed by the CCP, Congress must develop a more robust, comprehensive approach that also includes sanctions and export controls. One thing is clear, following this announcement, more work must be done, unquote. Number three, on August 8th, the Council of Institutional Investors submitted a letter to the U.S. Securities Exchange Commission urging them not to approve a recent NASDAQ listing standard proposal regarding direct listings with a capital raise. The CI's letter said the SEC does not have sufficient basis to determine that these changes would protect investors under Section 6B-5 of the Securities Exchange Act of 1934. More specifically, the letter objects the lack of disclosure about price ranges that could result from the proposed changes and expresses concerns about the loss of investor protections related to direct listings more generally. Chief among those concerns are the difficulties that investors face in bringing claims under Section 11 of the Securities Act of 1933 for material misstatements or omissions in direct listing registration statements. Letter explains those difficulties are related to a tracing requirement and the absence of a traditional underwriter in direct listings. Number two, on August 25th, Council of Institutional Investors submitted a comment letter to the U.S. Securities Exchange Commission supporting the SEC's proposed amendments on substantial implementation, duplication, and resubmission of shareholder proposals under SEC's Rule 14A-8. Specifically, CI says the three amendments to Rule 14A-8 would include the following three benefits. Number one, the proposed substantial implementation standard 
would prevent a company from excluding a proposal where the specific actions or essential elements requested by the proposal have clearly not been implemented, and it would result in no action positions that are more predictable and consistent than under the current rule. Number two, the proposed substantial duplication standard would reduce incentives for proponents to attempt to preempt other proposals that those proponents do not agree with and would facilitate the consideration at the same shareholder meeting of multiple shareholder proposals that present different means to address a particular issue. Number three, the proposed resubmission standard would reduce companies' exclusion of proposals that have only a vague relation or are not sufficiently similar to earlier proposals that failed to receive the necessary shareholder support. And the number one most significant development in U.S. corporate governance capital market regulation for the period from August 1st to August 30th was on August 25th, when the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission adopted final rules implementing pay versus performance disclosure requirements for certain public companies. The new rules were originally proposed in 2015 and were mandated by Section 953A of the 2010 Dodd-Frank Act. Section 953A was intended to be responsive to a request by the Council of Institutional Investors for more quantitative information about incentive pay to assist the market and investors in better analyzing and understanding the relationship between executive compensation programs and company performance. The newly adopted rules give public companies discretion in what they report as the most significant measures considered when gauging performance and tying it to pay. As indicated in 2015, the SEC first proposed amendments to implement the Section 953 disclosure requirements. And then in January 2022, the Commission reopened the comment period for the 2015 proposed rules. CI submitted comment letters in response to both SEC solicitations. The final rules will require all reporting companies except foreign private firms, registered investment companies, and emerging growth companies provide a table in their proxy statements that shows specified executive compensation and financial performance measures for their last five completed fiscal years. Smaller reporting companies will be subject to scale disclosure requirements under the final rule. The table required by the final rule must include the following four financial performance measurements. Number one, total shareholder return. Number two, the total shareholder return of the companies in a firm's peer group. Number three, net income. And number four, a financial performance measure chosen by the company that it believes represents the most important measure used to link compensation actually paid to named executive officers, the company performance for the most recently completed fiscal year. Using the information presented in the table, companies will be required to describe the relationship between the executive compensation actually paid in each of the performance measures, as well as a relationship between a company's total shareholder return and the total shareholder return of its selected peer group. Companies will also be required to provide a list of three to seven financial performance measures that the registrant determines are its most important measures. Non-financial measures may also be included if a company considers them to be among their most important. Companies will be required to use inline XBRL to tag the required disclosures. 
SEC Chair Gary Gensler commented that he was pleased that the final rule provides for new, more flexible disclosures that allow companies to describe the performance measures it deems most important when determining what it pays to its executives. Companies must begin to comply with the new disclosure requirements in proxy and information statements for fiscal years ending on or after December 16, 2022. That completes my monthly corporate governance and capital markets update. If you have any questions regarding any of the issues discussed, please feel free to email me at Jeff, J-E-F-F, at C-I-I dot O-R-G. Until next time, I'm Jeff Mahoney. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Voice of Corporate Governance, brought to you by the Council of Institutional Investors. The Voice of Corporate Governance is a free, non-sponsored podcast that highlights critical developments in corporate governance and other important issues affecting institutional investors. The views expressed by those interviewed on the podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CII or its members. For more information on CII and its policies on corporate governance, please visit our website at www.cii.org.